Welcome to The Form Guide, inspiring conversations about our mental health and well-being. This week, we're chatting to Faye McGuinness, Director of Programmes at Education Support, and we're going to be talking about the mental health and well-being of educators. Enjoy. Oh, Faye McGuinness, welcome to the Form Guide. Third time lucky on the music and the LinkedIn Live. Welcome. Great to see you here. And um, I'm, I was really impressed with you jigging around with me. It's, Can't help um, it. It, it, it. You know, there's some guests that, that actually just crack on with their emails or um, just do something or just don't quite know what to do. But you were just brilliant jigging along. And I knew you would be because I, I know you miss the dance floor as much as I do, right? Oh, I miss it so much, honestly. There's only so much dancing on your own in the bedroom in front of the mirror that you can do before you actually want to dance with people. <laughs> so. yeah, absolutely. So the, the themes that we're putting out of the, the tunes, they're all from the 80s. That was, uh, that was Footloose. Um, and I remember that movie very well with Kevin Bacon, you know, and his white trainers just jigging around, <laughs> you know, in barns and everything else. So, you know, it was definitely an ode to the dance floor. That <laughs> Great. So, Faye, thank you for joining us. Oh, really good to be here. Really great to have a chat. Um, yeah, it just feels like I'm having a chat with a mate, which is always really nice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you are Director of Programmes for Education Support, and you were previously Head of Workplace Wellbeing Programmes for Mind. Um, so we're going to talk about all of that. I'm really keen to understand you know, your work uh, in the charity and the work of the charity around supporting the mental health and well-being of, of educators. But we're going to start with the question, and it's the question I'm sure you're expecting to hear from me, um, which is, how are you today? Um, I'm uh, a 7 out of 10 today, as you can see in my background. Um, generally, my form is very good. I'm having a very productive week, um, feeling pretty connected. Great to be chatting to you. I woke up super early today. My brain would just not let me sleep. And, um, you know, if I wasn't doing something exciting right now, I'd definitely be going for a bit of a nap. Um, so so I'm a seven out of 10. What, what's your score today? How are you today, Faye? Yeah, I would probably give myself an eight out of 10 today, actually. Um, I'm having a productive week so far. Um, I'm really enjoying my new role. Um, so that's been keeping my form score up quite quite high. Um, and yeah, it's been a funny experience starting a new role in lockdown. And I wasn't quite sure how that was going to go. But actually, it's been a really, really positive experience for me. So today I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good. I think if, if you had asked me at the end of last week, it would have been much lower. There's been obviously a lot going on um and I think there's a lot for us to process in terms of the stuff that's going on uh, around us at the moment and so lots of processing at the weekend I think and reflecting and um just having conversations and thinking about what's going on but today I feel I feel more positive yeah well really good to hear it and um you know you're right there's 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 events and you know I think the pandemic is amplifying those events um, and the reaction to them, but also I think there's a strong sense of what is right and wrong in the world. And um, you know, my hope, as I'm sure yours is, is that we see that positive change as a as a result. You know, in these these difficult areas, you're quite good at um, giving yourself space to reflect, aren't you? I've I've seen you post on that and talk about that before. You know, you're actually quite good at making space for you to to think and process things that are on your mind, aren't you? Yeah, I think it's interesting, actually, because I currently live on my own um, and have done throughout the pandemic. Um, and I think that people often say, oh, you know, it must be so nice to have that kind of quiet space. And I know that I'm so lucky in so many ways, you know, because I have been able to kind of just focus on work and I haven't, you know, got children that I need to look after and I haven't got all of those demands on me. But I often think that actually you could be in the most quiet space 
But if your brain isn't quiet, then you're not at peace. You know, you're not quite, you know, it's not quiet. Um, And I think I've learned in lockdown, actually, that I've had to start to accept those times where everything around me is peaceful, but my brain isn't so peaceful. Um, And so being able to kind of recognize that and think, well, actually, if my brain's going to be busy quite a lot, what I should do is use some of that busy time to reflect, you know, reflect on myself, reflect on the work that I do, reflect on the interactions that I have, reflect on what's impacting on my mental health and well-being. Um, and I found that really useful um, because, as I say, you know, I have peace around me, but your brain's not uh, at peace. Um, yeah. it, it could be very difficult to kind of look after yourself mentally. That's a really interesting concept. Um, so when your brain is busy, um, actually use that busyness in your brain to undergo a period of self-reflection so it's almost like um you know your brain's going to be active anyway so rather than ruminate on what i've gone let's use this time constructively and let's put the brain to work and then i guess how do you feel afterwards once you've gone through that process sometimes exhausted (laughs) to be to be honest you know um you know it's almost like having a a therapy session with myself you know and and i've had therapy and i always felt exhausted after those sessions but actually you're you're doing that work for yourself and so it it can be it can be quite tiring um sometimes i feel happy because i feel like i've gone through a nice period of reflecting and i've come to some conclusions and i've started to implement actually is something called worry time and I think this is really important during something like a pandemic where there are so many things that are outside of our control that we yeah. don't feel like we can influence or control but we still worry about them because we're human and actually mm. they are worrying things so allocating like half an hour a day which is for worry time so you're not ignoring it if you spend half an hour worry about the thing you need to worry about write it down get it written down put it away for the day and the next day in that half an hour I might be worrying about the same thing but it means that I'm not spending my whole day worrying about it. And for me, that has been actually quite life-changing. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, structured worry time. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't really heard of it sort of termed like that before, but you know, there's obviously journaling at the end of the day can often get worries out of our heads and allow us to, to sleep a little bit better. Um, but I like that worry time, you know, 30 minutes, boundary it, box it off, um, and then allow your brain to think of more positive things through the, the rest of the day. Really good. So we're getting some great tips already. We're going to be uh, <laughs> writing these down. We're going to be publishing them. We're going to be uh, sharing them. So uh, welcome to everybody on the live. Uh, I can see Sarah Restall is loving the song choice. Um, so uh, Sarah, obviously you used to work with Faye. Good to see you here. And Simon, thanks for uh, yeah, pointing out it was Kenny Loggins uh, who made that track and it did, it did slip my mind. So thanks for sharing. So let us know how you're doing on the chat. Um, Faye, we're going to get into the quick fire round. This is not something you can prepare for. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. If mental health were a, what would it be? So if mental health were an animal, what comes to mind? What would it be? It'd be a lion for me. Um, And I think, yeah, I think definitely over the past couple of years, um, we've started to to hear and feel the roar. Um, And I think that's absolutely fantastic. We've needed to for a long time, particularly in the workplace space. Um, So for me, I absolutely feel like uh, during this pandemic, mental health has been at the heart of the conversation. And for me, that's kind of the lion in the middle just roaring out. Um, so yeah, lion for me. Yeah, um, I, I love that. And, um, you know, it is time to roar and it is roaring and we've, we've sort of woken up the lion, haven't we? And, yes, um, yeah. you know, and, you know, I do like to overanalyze these a little bit because they're quite fun. The, the lion, it can be quite dangerous, but, you know, can be a sort of protective animal as well. Um, and, you know, a lion lives in in a pack um, and yeah. we need, um, I'm thinking a lot about this concept in the form score because we've got the little groups around us and, you know, this concept of collective resilience. 
where mm. we might have one or two people that are down. We might have one or two people that are up and are sending loads of emojis. We might have one or two people who like to care for others. We might have one or two people who need to be cared for in this kind of herd, this pack. And, uh, you know, that, that springs to mind where, where the, the mental health lion is concerned. Very good. So if mental health were a colour, Faye, what would it be for you? So I think it would be like a neon yellow. Like it's a really, really bright colour, right? It's yeah. in all of our faces. We know it's there. We see it. It's really bright. But actually, sometimes it can feel quite overwhelmingly bright. Um, mm. And I recognise that's probably because I work in the space. You know, I'm talking about mental health all the time. But I often think about the fact that sometimes I kind of have to close my eyes because I'm like, there's so much to do. We have so much work to do and it's so bright. But then you kind of open your eyes and that brightness is, is really apparent. So for me, I often think about it as a really bright neon colour. Um, it's there in our faces. It's big. We know there's lots of work to do, but it's it's shining bright. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I do like that. And it's um, it, it, for me, that conjures up an image of vibrancy. And, you mm. know, I talk about mental health, the complexity of being human and the vibrancy that it creates. So big in your face, neon yellow. Yes, we've got a lot to do, but it's there. It's bright, it's bold. Love it, Faye. Yeah. Love it. OK, so if mental health were a food, what would it be? Oh, I think if mental health was food, for me, it would be a stir fry. Yeah, um, OK. Because for me, actually, it's about bringing the components and, and the differences and the needs, the different needs of so many different people, so many different groups. Uh, when we think about workplaces, we've got so many different sectors, types of organisations, different roles. And all of those perspectives matter. And we have to make sure that we're providing support for everybody that needs support for their mental health. Mm -hmm. So when we think about that and we bring all of that together into a stir fry, it actually allows everybody to shine on their own. Um, often you hear people talking about like the melting pot and I don't really like that because it's about trying to make everybody become one and it's not about that yeah. it's about stir fry actually you can taste every part of it um, so for me it's about recognizing that in mental health we have a lot more to do to make sure that everybody is getting the support that they need yeah brilliant I absolutely love that I haven't had that one before and the different <laughs> the different elements that come together we can still have the individual flavors and yet the overall taste is amplified because we're all kind of together in that that stir fry love it uh, we're getting some good uh, good love on the chat for the neon yellow uh, from tanya and uh, hi christopher so good to see that um this is good You've, have you done this quick fire round before fair you're very good at it no, but I really love it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I like so, a quiz show. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So we've got a couple more, right? So if mental health were a holiday destination, where would it be for you? You know, I'm actually going to say it would be uh, the Norfolk Broads. Okay. Um, and I say that because before the pandemic, my idea of a holiday was you always go abroad. Um, and actually, we had a snippet of time where we were able to go away uh, during the last year in the UK. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be able to do that, you know. And so we went to the, me and my partner went to Norfolk Broads. Um, and for me, it was um, peaceful. It was quiet. You're just there on a boat. You're going back and forward. There isn't much more to do. But all you're doing is enjoying the elements, enjoying what's around you and enjoying the time that you have on your own and with yourself. Um, yeah. Going back to that reflection. And it made me recognise that actually there's so much beauty around us that we just kind of forget and ignore. And yeah. I think for me, the pandemic has really taught me um, how precious kind of nature and the outside is. And we have so much of that in the UK. Yeah. Um, so for me, actually, just, just recognising that I think is important. And I will be seeing a lot more of the UK when we, we finally can. 
yeah brilliant yeah and that 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 peacefulness of just drifting down the canal um and you know the world is just a slower pace i love it i love it um okay now i lied there's two more now so i i <laughs> kind of sold you a bit short earlier so if mental health were a song what would it be and you can have kenny loggins footloose if you wish or, or choose one of your own oh gosh well anyone that knows me knows i am the biggest bruce springsteen fan so yeah. he is he is he is my one um so i think I think Born to Run uh, would be would be my song. And I think it, it really picks up on that theme of acceleration. So yeah. during the during the pandemic, we have accelerated the conversation about mental health, particularly in workplaces, in a way that we never thought would happen. Yeah. Um, and so for me, there's this idea that now is our time to pick that up and run with it. Um, if we don't do it now, when are we going to do it? So yeah, Springsteen's Born to Run. Perfect. Yeah. And it goes quite well with the lion as well, doesn't it, really? Um, um, some love for the Norfolk Broads from Ian Hart. Uh, good to see you on the chat, Ian. Um, so last one. Um, really interested to see where you come up with this one. If mental health were a sound, what would it be? This is probably going to seem strange, but it, it would probably be laughter for me because I really, really believe that we're starting to. We've got a long way to go to shift the narrative around talking about mental health in a positive frame. Yeah. So we, you know, we all have mental health. We all have to look after our mental health as much as our physical health. But I think we're moving away from that narrative that we're talking about mental health as just mental health problems. And actually we're, talk- we're reframing that conversation about how we all need to do and take positive steps to look after ourselves. And when I think about that, it kind of makes me think about people feeling happier and sort of smiling and laughing and thinking about the things that they can do to look after their mental health and well-being yeah Um, and that's important really important yeah fantastic laughter I love it we had that last week actually from um, a good good contact of mine Tava and um, you know he uh, he 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 very um, eloquently put that across as well so thanks for sharing that so the image I've got putting all this together and it's hard for me to do this but I'll give it a go is is so you're on uh, you know on a canal boat you know you're going down the Norfolk Broads I see you wearing yeah some fluorescent yellow uh, kind of jacket so yeah you're very visible Um, you've got the boss on in the background born to run Mm -hmm. There's a pack of lions actually, um, you know, galloping down. What do lions do? They, what do they do? They sprint, they I gallop. Know, I don't know. I'm not sure. Know. They kind of look around. They don't gallop. That's horses. Yeah, they're sort of skulking around in the broads. There's a stir fry. We can we can smell that coming up, um, and uh, you know, there's lots of laughter coming up. So uh, mm. yeah, that's my my image from uh, from your quick fire round. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, perfect. Thank you. So, so let's get into it, Faye. Let's get into it. So you were previously Workplace Wellbeing's programmes lead for Mind uh, for a good few years. And we've sort of collaborated. We've worked together. We've campaigned together. And it's been great to get to know you. Um, what, what were the highlights for you? And I know there must have been many during that time. <laughs> but what stands out for you during that time with, with Mind? Yeah, I mean, there were so many. Um, a, a wonderful, wonderful organisation to work for, Mind, and I absolutely loved the, the work that I did there. Um, so it's it's hard to pick some out, but I've, I've kind of thought of three. Um, I think for me, the first one, one of the real highlights for me is uh, the opportunity that I got to connect with so many people from different sectors, from different job types, from different types of businesses. And I was able to really get a good understanding of the things that connect us when it comes to mental health and well-being, it feels like, you know, we often have conversations or I would have conversations with people that would say, but our sector is so different and we have to do things differently and it's different for us. 
And actually, when you get to the core of it and you start to have the conversations about what matters to people, about their mental health at work, there's so much more that connects us than, than divides us. Yeah. So the opportunity that I had there was a real highlight to connect uh, with mm. so many different people. Um, I think another highlight came from last year. Um, although it was in response to something that is far from a highlight, you know, the pandemic is, is far from a highlight, what we were able to do is to launch our frontline and we did that in a week. Um, and that was our response to making sure that those on the frontline got support for their mental health and well-being. And why that was a highlight is because it really showed me the power of partnership. Yeah. You know, we were able to work with the Samaritans and Shell and Hospice UK and get our heads together in a week and launch something that was going to help people. So for me, that was a highlight because to be able to do that uh, felt like I was I had a role to play in, in yeah. trying to help with the pandemic. Um, and I think the last thing that's uh, one of my highlights is, is the launch of the Mental Health at Work website because, well, you know, I'm not the most technical person. Right? So when someone said we're going to develop this website and we're doing it because people are struggling to find the information they need online, my sort of first thought was, yeah, but how exciting is a website? Come on, like, what's a website going to do? And I learned very quickly that actually you can do a lot with a, a website that gives people the information that they need. Um, and the team at mine to run the website are absolutely awesome. Um, and the, the type of content that's now coming out, the number of people using the site, it's a real pleasure to see that grow and grow. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, um, brilliant. Well, all, all good stuff and kudos for turning that around in, in a week in terms of the response <laughs> to the pandemic and, and very much needed and still needed, right, as, as our frontline, um, you know, heroes, um, you know, are kind of battling exhaustion and burnout mm. and, you know, trauma that will, 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 will last for this. So, you know, it's yeah. great that there's that level of support. So um, I've never asked you this before, and I've, I've, I'm really keen to hear the answer is um, you clearly you're really passionate about this agenda and you've you know, dedicated a good number of the years of your career to it and continue to do so. Where does that passion come from uh, for making positive change on, on mental health? So I think it's funny because, you, you know, we talk about being partners in crime and I think it's funny sort of mentioning the word crime because I think where it really started for me uh, in terms of thinking about it as a career is that I worked for a national charity uh, that, support, that supported people affected by crime um, mm. and I was there for five years. And so I was leading lots of projects with people that were experiencing domestic violence, you know, sexual violence, knife crime, uh, violent crime. Um, and what I got to see is how uh, people affected by crime crime who had mental health problems were treated uh, in the criminal justice system yeah um, and it really really concerned me actually and it really brought to light the stigma and discrimination that existed around mental health and well-being um, particularly around people who were really vulnerable um, so when the opportunity at mind came up to lead the blue light program which was the first job I did at mind I was like well absolutely you know this is a role that's going to help me help those people in those services help people in the community better but actually I realized that wasn't the role the role was about supporting people in the emergency services to think about their own mental health and well-being which makes complete sense because we all know about the oxygen mask right yep. you don't if you don't put your own mask on first how can we expect them to then support their communities properly um, so so that's kind of from a career perspective that's where it came from um, in my heart, I honestly believe that we, we should all have the right to feel safe, supported, and have the opportunity to thrive at work. Um, and we might not always thrive at work because it's impossible for us to thrive all of the time, um, but we should have the opportunity to be able to, and too many people can't, and, and in particular, that's in the education sector. 
Yeah, well, no, I'm definitely keen to understand more about this. And, um, you know, I'm seeing some of those signs as well in, in the work that I do. Um, on, on that, you, you obviously left a, a fantastic role that you enjoyed in mind to take on this role with, with education support. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of why this role appeals and, um, and then give us an insight into the work of the charity, if you don't mind, Faye. Yeah, definitely. So for me, in all of the work that I did in my role at Mind, um, what I really enjoyed is the work that I did in supporting public sector workers. So I really enjoyed the work that we did with our frontline. I've been doing work looking at the mental health and well-being of NHS workers before that. And I'd also been doing some work in the education sector. We launched the Mentally Healthy Universities programme. Mm. And I really got a sense, actually, that the public sector were falling behind uh, with regards to how they were supporting staff mental health and well-being compared to the private sector and there are many reasons for that so um, education support every year published their teacher well-being index and from the, the 2020 index it was you know very clear and even the year before very clear that the education workforce are a workforce in in need um, so for me I really wanted to do this role because I knew it was going to make a difference to a sector that was really in need and if we go back to putting your own oxygen mark on, mask on first this workforce are the ones that are going to uh, uh, support our young people, our next generation of workers, our next generation of people that are going to probably potentially change the world. Um, so if we don't support them and make sure that they're uh, supported in their mental health and well-being, how can we expect them to do the best for our children? So I felt like it could have a much bigger impact. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's what really attracted me to the role. I think it's a sector that um, is, is in a lot of need. Yeah, fantastic. Well, no, congratulations on the new role and I'm really keen to see how it all unfolds and I'm sure you'll have a, just a huge impact in what you do there. Um, so talk us through a bit more detail about the work of the charity and, and specifically what you'll be doing in, in your role there. Yeah, so education support was uh, set up by teachers for teachers mm -hmm. um, and that was over 140 years ago. Wow. Um, so it's been around for a very long time and uh, we're the only charity in the UK dedicated to supporting everybody that works in education. So that's all the way through to, from primary, all the way through to higher education. Um, and we kind of do that at three levels. Uh, so as I said, we publish the yearly teacher wellbeing index. So we do a huge amount of research into the area of mental health and wellbeing ed in education. And we use that to really influence policy and, and, and have conversations about lots of the policy stuff that we know impacts on people working in education. Yeah. We support institutions at an organisational level, so much of the work that you do and that I did at Mind, how do school leaders, how do employers in the education space create psychologically safe work environments and the right cultures and conditions, so we do that at an organisational level. But and really importantly, we support individuals. Um, so we have things like a free helpline uh, that anybody can access 24 hours a day. Um, and in uh, 2019-20, we spoke to almost 10,000 uh, educators who needed support. Um, we offer financial grants uh, for people who are in education that might be struggling financially. Um, and uh, I think in the last four years, we've paid out about £1.3 million um, in grants uh, to educators. Um, and during the pandemic, we've also been providing direct support for head teachers. So we've been delivering online peer support uh, in group sessions and also one-to-one -one counselling with, with trained counsellors as well. So we do a range of support through those kind of three, three layers. Yeah, fantastic. Well, um, 
you know, it, it, it would appear to me that it, it, it is very much needed right now. And I guess, you know, all workplaces have been impacted, right, by the pandemic and all workplaces have, have got challenges of, of staff and employee mental health and well-being. What's your perspective on, on you know, kind of the educational sector and teachers? Why, why, what is impacting teachers so much and why do they matter? Yeah, so in the 2020 index uh, that we published, 52% of all education professionals said that they had considered leaving the profession uh, due to pressures on their mental health and well-being. So that's over half, which is a, a huge statistic. And across the sector, we're seeing that stress levels are high, we're seeing that well-being is compromised, and we know that high, you know, high workload is affecting staff in terms of absence, present peers, and retention. So we know that the direct impact on, on teachers and, and educators is huge. But I think actually to answer the question, we need to look at the wider context. And that wider context obviously shows that child poverty is rising. Um, the number of homeless children and those in temporary accommodation in Britain is rising. Um, we know that the mental health of children and young people is increasingly a subject of concern. Um, and all of these have obviously um, been heightened because of the pandemic. Um, we know that most recently Ofsted published um, a set of reports looking at the effects of COVID um, on children and young people, and they've reported that many children are around six months behind where they should be. Yep. So all of these factors are affecting children's life chances, right? And they're evident to, evident to teachers and education staff who are on the front line teaching these young people. So actually, you know, we feel like teachers are such an influential figure for children um, that actually support for teachers becomes a, a matter of national recovery. Um, if we don't support our teachers to support this generation of young people who have been deeply affected by, by the pandemic, um, then we are really going to see kind of that next generation really struggle. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of a much wider issue. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, segueing a little bit, because uh, just prior to this, I was doing a session for a client on purpose. And yeah, the impact of, of purpose on well-being, which is a you know key driver as we as we know. But presumably, you know, a lot of and I'm generalizing, which is always dangerous, but a lot of teachers will have a strong sense of purpose in, in what they do, which has attracted them to to that profession, um, to educate our, our children. And I guess when they see children struggling, both in terms of where they are in the curriculum, um, also the, the the well-being and mental health of children, which has been impacted by the pandemic um, for sure. Yeah, and combine that with the passion and purpose they have that must be quite hard to kind of um sort of weigh up in in the in the mind of a lot of teachers do you think that is causing an additional pressure for them yeah absolutely i mean i think so we know that this generation of learners continues to be massively affected by the, the pandemic and these young people are sharing the worries of their families, the worries of their friends. You know, they're absorbing grief by the media or they experience it directly. Um, but actually what they do then is spend most of their time in the classroom with a teacher. Um, and if those teachers are stressed or bereaved themselves and they're not getting the right support, how can we expect them to give everything to that child in terms of both support and in terms of their and learning um so you know i think it's just really important you know good levels of personal well-being and feeling secure are, are so important in education and for so many educators they just want to be able to do the job that they love and they recognize that there are many things that come alongside that you know that they have to make sure that they're looking out for young people 
they're giving young people the right support around many areas but they really want to be able to do the job that they love which is teaching and yeah. uh, and uh, being kind of motivators and yeah it's 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 a really key thing for teachers to, to feel like they're at the heart of what they're doing is the thing that they joined up to do yeah yeah uh, that makes sense and and if you look at the perspective of parents and i guess parents um they're um stress levels have been pretty high you know i'm one of the uh, the lucky ones that have done the homeschooling of of, of young children and uh, glad i'm not doing that today um, <laughs> you know but i think the and, and i've seen elements of this with um sort of comments around you know in my teacher's school and you know whether whether teachers should be uh, or have be you know totally doing online classes whether they can and parents who obviously get very very passionate about this what what do you think parents need to understand about teacher well-being and what would be helpful to to, to share on that yeah so I think going back to some of the stuff that I was saying around um, what we know uh, the impact of COVID will be on children and young people and for parents to recognize that actually when their their children and young people are going into the classroom teachers aren't just teaching them they are actually supporting and absorbing some of that impact as well but I think it's recognizing that teaching particularly over the next couple of years is going to feel quite different because of the pandemic. And I think parents having an understanding of that and having an understanding of actually why uh, why teacher mental health and wellbeing is, is a really important aspect of what we think about over the next couple of years. Um, I think that uh, for parents to realise that many teachers are parents too. Mm-hmm. You know, they've gone through that same experience of worrying about their children, homeschooling, while teaching. And so actually... Many teachers uh, feel the same pressures and understand where parents are coming from. But it's important to see that they are parents, some are parents as well as teachers as well. Um, and I think the last thing that I would say is appreciation goes a long way. Um, it really does go a long way. And we released a report um, called COVID in the classroom um, during the, the pandemic. And we asked a question about appreciation. And uh, the stats that we got were quite interesting. So 61% of education professionals said that they felt greatly or somewhat appreciated by parents and guardians or uh, of their pupils and students, which is brilliant. Uh, 25% uh, felt greatly appreciated by the general public um, and 15% felt greatly or somewhat appreciated by the UK government. So you can actually see there that actually that appreciation has been there from parents and it means a lot to teachers. Yeah, yeah. So I think, kind of note to self is 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 just make the time to uh, yeah, just a, a word of thanks and a word of gratitude mm. to uh, to 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 everything the teachers have been doing and will continue to do. Um, we've we've got a question from 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 Tanya on the chat, and it was one that I, I was keen to explore with you uh, anyway. So when we're talking about educators, we're talking about all educators, aren't we? So teachers and, and higher education. Um, what differences do you see around the challenges facing educators in universities, for example, as compared to those in schools? For example, uh, and I've seen, um, uh, I've talked to a number of universities about potentially doing, you know, a form score pilot and, and bringing that technology in. Um, and, and I think there are often a few concerns that perhaps the, the students are better looked after from a well-being and mental health point of view than the educators. Mm-hmm. So I'm just keen to hear your kind of perspectives on that sector and that part of education and, and, and how we think we're doing that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're actually just about to launch a research survey to look um, at the impact of kind of mental health and well-being on higher education staff. Um, we're going to be doing that and launching that with the university and college union. Um, and so we'll get a better insight into some of that, particularly in response to the, the pandemic and, and how that's impacted on, on higher education. So I think you're right, there's been a huge amount of focus on sort of student well-being in the higher education space, which is absolutely vital and actually needs to be there less focus on higher education staff so we launched mentally healthy universities uh, when I was at MIND um, and there is an element of that program that is looking at uh, the mental health of, of staff working in higher education I think one of the biggest things is actually providing the right information and tools for them to think about how they create the right cultures and conditions I think actually they can put in, you know, a helpline, they can put in an employee assistance program, they can have occupational health. It's actually they're really thinking about what is it within the university working culture that is driving poor mental health and well-being. And I'm not sure we've fully got to the bottom of that, to know how to respond um, in terms of creating those right cultures. I think there are some particular things around higher education in terms of, you know, they are supporting uh, people at different transitions in their lives. So people mm. coming into university, people that are leaving university and going into the working world. Yeah. So the, the type of teaching is different than what you might see in a primary and secondary school. And so I think we need to be um, aware of that. And also the demographic of learners, you know, they're, they're teaching young adults, adults, and those young adults and adults have a whole range of things that are impacting on their lives. Um, so again, it's not just about teaching, but it's about the type of support that they're providing to their students as well. Yeah. Um, and I guess lastly, I would say that we can't forget about further education. Um, yep. It's a really important sector that often gets forgotten when we talk about the kind of mental health and wellbeing space, I think. Um, and there was a white paper published in June last year around skills for jobs skills for jobs and, and actually further education is going to be really key in terms of being centers for business development and innovation as we think about skilling up people going into work um, particularly um, as a result of the pandemic and, and the current climate that we find ourselves in so colleges are going to play and further education is going to play a really key part in upskilling young people um, so we can't forget about further education yeah, absolutely. No, thanks. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. Um, what does good look like for you um, over the next twelve months and then longer term? You know, what where would you like to get to? What sort of impact do you want to have on this sector? Yeah, so I think there's been a real kind of recognition during this time about where we can provide the support at the right time that's going to have the most impact. So I think it's fair to say that over the past three to six months trying to spend too much time talking to school leaders about how they create mentally healthy workplaces has been quite difficult because they've been just too busy dealing with the pandemic right so for me there's a question about what is the right support that we can give right now for individuals that need support for their mental health and well-being so what good looks like for me is making sure that um uh, educators have access to space to talk about what's going on for them. So space for supervision, uh, space for peer support, space for conversations, right? And you're all about having conversation. Um, we know that in our um, in the index that we did, uh, I think it was about 9% of people in education have any form of access to supervision. So that right. space to talk about what's going on for them. So for me, good would look like um, all educators having the opportunity to access those um, 
avenues for talking um, and and um, breaking down what's going on. Yeah. 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 I think as we move into the next term, as we sort of come back from the summer, what what looks good for me is for um, education educators and establishments to think about how they start to create the cultures and conditions, how they've learned from COVID about creating the right spaces for staff to feel psychologically safe. And we know that there's loads of stuff that goes into that. It's easy, but we need to start moving towards that conversation. Um, and I think that once we get the support for individuals right, we can start to have that conversation. And I think good also looks like um, us having conversations with, you know, whether it's Department of Education, Welsh Government, decision makers, policy makers, about really tackling some of the drivers um, that are impacting on teacher mental health and well-being at this time um, and really understanding how we can tackle those properly. Yeah. And have you got a good sense of what those drivers are? Yes. So, I mean, workload has always been a conversation yeah. that has been quite live in the education sector. We know that teachers work long hours. They have high workloads. Um, that, uh, and we know that that's not conducive to good mental health over a prolonged period of time. Yeah. But I don't just think it's about the uh, level of workload, it's the intensity of the workload. And I, I reflect on that actually over the past year, you know, my workload, I would say, has always been high, you know, and it's, I'm somebody that, you know, sort of thrives off that to a degree. Yeah. But the intensity of it has been, has been something that I've not experienced before. So, you know, workload is an issue and workload in the sense that, as I say, teachers want to be able to do the job that they love. Mm. Um, and actually there is, a lot of bureaucracy around the amount of paperwork, the amount of box ticking, all of the other stuff that takes them away from the actual teaching. Yeah. So workload is, is a real issue. Um, autonomy, um, being done with and not to. Um, mm. I think that actually this year there's been a lot done to educators mm-hmm. um, and actually that sense of not feeling like they have complete control over their work, which we know is, is not a driver to good mental health. So that's a really uh, important thing. And keep and bringing together a connection. Actually, teachers, you know, our wellbeing index shows that that kind of connection is really important for educators. So finding ways that we can connect teachers and the online peer support groups that we've been doing have been bringing teachers together from across the UK. Brilliant. And that has been a wonderful experience for them. So that kind of bringing together and, and um, connecting people is, is going to be really important. Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, that's obviously something I'm very passionate about with with the form score and facilitating those those check ins and those connections. So that's really cool that, that, that you're doing that. Um, I, I guess one of the question around the role models and, and, you know, it's no surprise I'll ask this to you around my, my passion with the Inside Out Leaderboard and the impact that we've had with business leaders sharing the fact mm-hmm. they have a mental health challenge to facilitate and, and um, create that culture change to to mentally healthy workplace cultures. Do you think we have enough role models from the education sector? Do you, do you see um, a, a need for more to kind of you know, set the tone that it is okay to seek help? It is okay to, to talk about this stuff? Yeah, so if you look at our um, index results from last year, stigma remains a huge issue in the education sector. So it really does. Um, so I think we've got a long way to go to smash the stigma for sure. Um, I think that if you... Actually, when I when I had my interview for education support, one of the questions that I was asked, which I loved, was, can you tell us about the teacher that you remember and kind of the impact that that teacher had on you? And I immediately thought of a teacher because I could think of a teacher that had a really positive impact on me. So I think in terms of role models in the everyday, 
I think we could all, probably all think of a teacher that was a slight role model to us, of course, yeah. uh, to a degree. And so I think we have role models at that level, but I think we could do more to have um, role models and sort of leaders speaking out about their experiences to encourage yeah. more in the sector to do that. So I think we have got a way to go there. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, I think we will we will see more of that coming because you know from my experience of this that in in all sectors there are actually willing role models who are prepared to share their stories once we start to break down that stigma. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what you do there, and I'll certainly be looking to uh, to try and represent some heads of uh, headmasters and headmistresses and um, yeah, leaders of universities and all the rest of it to. Uh, <laughs> To, to help on that, that 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 journey so we're coming to the end Faye and um it's been a pleasure to talk to you I've got one more question for you to just just ponder for me if you don't mind um and we're sort of collecting well-being golden nuggets your one piece of wisdom that you would um share in terms of you know how people can proactively manage their form their well-being what would be your golden nugget of well-being Faye uh, learn to disappoint people <laughs> and uh, it, it's been a, a tough lesson for me because I don't like disappointing people and many of us don't but actually I've come to realise if I need to protect my own mental health and well-being I have to be comfortable with sometimes disappointing people and it's okay um, if those people know that fundamentally you're coming from a good place and you're a good person you can disappoint them every now and again to protect yourself so learn to disappoint people is my nugget <laughs> Yeah, that's a brilliant one. Um, yeah, I, I I definitely need to get better at saying no to things. Uh, I say yes to pretty much everything and I need to say no more. So it's a good one. So how, how can people kind of get involved, contribute to the uh, to the charity, uh, check out the work? What's the best way of uh, following your work? Yeah, so uh, you can go on our website, uh, educationsupport.org.uk. Um, we have a huge amount of information on there, lots of resources, lots of great webinars. There's a lot of information on there. Uh, you can also follow us. We're on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. Uh, we're on Instagram. Um, I won't give you all the handles because if you just search, you'll find us. Um, but we're always putting out lots of content on there as well. Um, and obviously, please do promote our helpline uh, to educators it's on the website um, and just make sure that anybody that needs support in the sector knows that we are there to support them brilliant Faye well thank you for spending the time with us good luck in the role I'm sure you're going to have a fantastic impact in a sector that is um, very much in need um, of, of your skills and your talents and I'm uh, certainly looking forward to seeing you on a dance floor when uh, yes. when, when the pandemic allows oh I can't wait I'm going to get those heels on I'm going to dance like I've never danced before <laughs> <laughs> absolutely I'm with you and, and I have to compliment you on your headphones actually I'm, I'm here I'm the <laughs> DJ and playing the music and you've got this amazing set of cans in the way, so I, uh, I absolutely Absolutely love it, Faye. So good. Kudos for the headphones. Um, so Faye, thanks for thanks for joining us. Um, so next week we've got the Inside Out Awards. Um, so we may have a, some surprise guests from the winners that we uh, do a LinkedIn Live and a podcast with, uh, but I can't reveal them because we haven't revealed the winners yet. So um, and then after that, the following guest we've got Daryl Woodhouse, who's CEO of Advantage Business Partnerships and campaigner on burnout. So looking forward to a chat with Daryl. Faye, thanks again. This is the uh, form guide, inspiring conversations about our mental health and our well-being. Thank you. Thank you.